1: Find Reese's
0: now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yeah, 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 the Rocky Mountain goat isn't a true goat, Mm -hmm. but we'll get to that. We'll get to the families and stuff. What can they teach us? Young pygmy goats can
1: adjust their vocal accents based on their surroundings
0: many species are in crisis and need your help join the movement at allcreaturespod.com welcome to the all creatures podcast this is chris nah. <laughs> is that angie nah. <laughs> I was thinking ba, but you're right. It's ma.
1: No, Chris, sheep ba, goats, ma.
0: That's a good one. That's really good, though. That is thank really, you. Good. That really good. I appreciate that.
1: I actually pride myself on my goat and my cow. So we'll save cow for a different day when we do, maybe when we do domestic or Holstein cows. But uh, yeah, thank you. I love my goat call,
0: so yes, that was not that wasn't an actual goat that was actually Angie, so. yeah,
1: that was me <laughs> an
0: actual human woman, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was very good it was very good Angie. thank
1: you, thank you. I grew up on a farm, so what can I say?
0: <laughs> and I grew up though.
1: well, and I'll tell you right we did mostly blueberries, but I did the neighbors' goats came into my yard frequently and would always cause trouble and I just loved them to death. They would jump up on our picnic tables and just they were so entertaining. And then as I got older and became a zookeeper, I got to work with goats again. Uh, and I would help out in the goat yard where people can come in and pet them. And I've also milked uh, the nannies, the female goats, and given demonstrations to uh, children that would come in, in the school groups on how to milk milk goats. And it's really interesting, and probably maybe some of our North American listeners might not know this, but most of the world drinks goat milk, and so of course in the United States we drink cow milk. But it was always fun to teach that to children because they just didn't realize that goats create milk, and oh man, they create delicious cheese too. I know that and love that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I love goats; they're so fun and so personable. And I'm just I'm really excited to get out there and try goat yoga, which some of my friends have tried before. Uh.
0: There you go, goat yoga. Well, this is our first goat or sheep to the podcast, you know, but this might break your heart. This isn't a true goat. I know, Uh, right? That's what I learned
1: this week. And it was, I don't want to say slightly disappointing, but it was just interesting to know that they're more closely related to antelopes, right?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Rocky Mountain goat isn't a true goat. But we'll get to that. We'll get to the families and stuff. But a fascinating species. I mean, these are ones that climb insane sheer cliff walls. How do they do it? How do they survive?
1: Well, Chris, the Rocky Mountain goat is the highest altitude large mammal in the world.
0: It's incredible species. It's gonna be I mean, fun. these
1: goats they're mountaineers. They, they they go up there with some of the world's best rock climbers. Altitudes 13,000 feet, 4,000 meters. And they're agile at it. they're not like me trying to climb the indoor the indoor rock <laughs> yeah, wall. I, I know, I know,
0: I know. I mean,
1: they are sure footed, they're agile. Uh there's a brilliant pictures out there of them of them on these steep cliffs and just jumping from rocks. Rocked rock, to rock on, on cliffs and on ice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Really incredible creature.
0: Uh, they're amazing creatures. It's going to be a fun episode, Angie. And just I want to give a shout out to Rachel Da Silva. She is volunteering. She is starting to help us out on the podcast. She is doing research for us, you know, as we juggle, you know, between the podcast, raising kids and our real jobs. So I just want to give her a, a, a big shout out. She's from Northern England, up near Pip's Neck of the Woods, uh, near Manchester and Liverpool. And she's really passionate about wildlife. She just asked, you know, for all the help she's doing with us, you know, if we give her a little shout out on her Instagram, because she she does some animal and conservation art. So if you want to check it out, you can go to Tilly, T-I-L-L-Y underscore Mint 08 And just check her out on Instagram. She's doing this for free. It's just, again, Angie, it's going to take a village to reverse all these trends around the planet. That's what we keep preaching. And so it was just so great to talk to her. We did a Zoom chat and her passion for wildlife, and she's helping us out. So thank you so much, Rachel.
1: Oh, thank you, Rachel, so much. I uh, really enjoyed all your notes, and they help. So (laughs) we'll we'll get to talk a lot about those fun facts today. I want to give a big shout out to SKD, who gave us a wonderful review on iTunes. Uh, thank you very much for that. And we appreciate anybody else that wants to give us a five-star glowing review. And uh, we don't have any for the month of September yet. So be the first, second, third, any any in yeah. September. We really appreciate it. And we'll give you a shout out. So thank yep. you,
0: everyone. No, thank you so much. And describing the Rocky Mountain Goat. Darling. Very very. Pretty iconic. I mean, pretty iconic species.
1: Right. I mean, just start from the coat. They have this brilliant, white, fluffy, maybe more cream uh, coat that just is covers their entire body. And then if you look at the horns, which we all know I'm a fan of anything with hooves and horns – the horns are are really pretty, too; they're black, so they really contrast the the white fur around the the head and the ears, and they're anywhere from about nine to twelve inches, and they go up straight and curve kind of towards their the back of their neck and Of course, both males and females have horns as well, and then you also have to take note that they have beards Uh. and it's, it's pretty normal that goats have beards. And so this one's really recognizable because it's very woolly and it basically is a extension of their throat. Almost. It's like almost like a mane that's just on their chin. I would definitely give any hipster in Brooklyn a rival for their beard money. If you will. Uh, I don't know if they groom theirs like um, some of our hipster friends do, but they're very beautiful. And, they have tails that are short and darling as they move them back and forth, and because they're such amazing rock climbers, they have this very stout, just buff body, if you will. And then, of course, their their hooves are cloven, and they're black in color, uh, but they have a almost like a rubber sole on the bottom that helps them climb these deep rocks. And we're going to dork out about some of their other amazing adaptations to help them be such high, high rock mountain climbers.
0: No, oh, what got me too about them, because when you think of goats, you know, you're used to domestic goats and they're small, right? Like you, you tend to most of them, you know, they're, they're not very big. These are pretty beefy. I mean, they can mm-hmm. weigh, you know, 125 to 200 pounds or up to 90 kilograms, I read some males get up to 280, maybe 300 pounds. Their body length can go up to 70 inches, which is almost six feet. It's almost as tall as I am in length.
1: Right. That's a big animal That's to be jumping goat. around yes. these narrow rocks, uh, yes. really high up in the air with ice. So yeah.
0: and, and doing it no with-
1: offense, Chris, I can't see you doing that. Oh,
0: God, no, no, no. <laughs> Myself,
1: I- neither. I, I Of course, I'm right there with you. That would not be my cup of tea.
0: No, I watch these people scale, you know, in Yosemite and El Capitan, El Capitan. And I just, uh, I remember being there in Yosemite watching them. And I just was like, "Uh, uh, no, no, thanks. Nope, nope, nope. Not me in heights. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you very much. So how they do it's just astonishing. And they stand at the shoulder almost over three feet or a meter. So females are a little bit smaller than the males, but still a very, very sturdy, stocky, significant animal, you know, mammal, you know, traversing these climbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the Rocky Mountain goat ranges in North America and North America only you don't find them in Northern Asia or Northern Europe with some of these species like moose and wolves and bears and stuff. So they're just in North America and the Alpine range. Uh, typically their native range is from Alaska down to on the Pacific Northwest of North America into the United States, Washington state and down into to parts of Oregon, uh, other parts of the Rocky mountains and Montana, Central Idaho, back in Corbin's neck of the woods. And then they've been introduced in other states in the United States. So namely South Dakota and Colorado. So I just remember, Angie, when I was in the Army, stationed up in Washington State, I always wanted to go to the Cascades and see these, see these goats. I never did have a chance, but beautiful part of the world. It, you know, British Columbia, it's still one of the most beautiful places I've ever been on earth next to New Zealand. So yeah, if you can get out there, go, it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful place.
1: I know some girlfriends and I were hoping to maybe go to Banff uh, this, this late fall. But of course, with a lot of the COVID restrictions, we won't be doing that. Uh, But I, I, I agree with you, Chris, I have not spent enough time in the Pacific Northwest or the Rockies and I'm dying to see these guys. I mean, How cool are they? And I would actually be more likely to probably see them in the wintertime when they're in the lower land areas. They'll migrate down the mountains uh, in the wintertime and then, of course, go to higher elevation ranges in the summertime, which can be anywhere from 1,000 to 5,000 meters. On average, though, they hang out at about 2,300 meters. So really, really high. And yeah, I I doubt I can't go that high. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to yeah. see them in the summertime. So uh, I'll have to go find them in the winter. But And if any of our listeners have any pictures from wildlife viewing of Rocky Mountain goats, please send the photos our way yeah. so I can just look at them and be jealous. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's almost 14,000 feet. I mean, that that is significant for a large mammal to be ranging and surviving just fine.
1: Right. So if you're a mountain climber in these higher altitudes humans typically get mountain sickness or also called altitude sickness because the mountains lack the amount of oxygen that we our bodies comfortably need to be working at the metabolic rate that our bodies like to work at and so a human is going to start feeling symptoms of altitude sickness anywhere from 1800 to 2200 meters and that's where the rocky mountain goat hangs out like on average like that's where they like to be but if we talk about this 5,000 meter mark. That's like incredibly high. Like any, I shouldn't, I'm not a rock climber, so I don't want to say it wrong, but most people need oxygen at that point in time. And just to give you guys a little bit of like altitude relations, so Mount Everest, right? Very few people have successfully climbed that one. It's on all the world's best mountaineers bucket list. That is 8, 8,848.86 meters when last measure it does shift a little bit. So ooh, Rocky mountain high, right? Like, almost, yeah, I mean, I that's like very, very, very high. Yep, yep, yep. So yes, it's, they're just really, really impressive as far as their high, not only their ability to climb agilely from rock to rock up and down, but their ability to climb so high into the sky.
0: I remember when I was at a conference uh, years ago, and it was uh, in Colorado, we were like 7,000 feet. So that 2,200 meter, it was taxing, especially coming from, I was at Clemson at the time, South Carolina. So I'm used to sea level and going up that high, it was like walking stairs, you're out of breath. I wasn't in the best shape of my life either at the time, but... Still, it was taxing. So I was gonna say, the- I
1: think I get out of breath right now. And then like in Florida, it's pretty much like under the sea. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it is, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna dork out a little bit on that elevation. But yeah, that living up that high. So with that being said, thinking about this large herbivore that ranges at these elevations, it it is a it is a unique ecological niche. You know, they're eating plants that others can't get at, right?
1: Absolutely. Pretty much any herbaceous or plant material that they can get their cute little uh, muzzles around. So when we think of seed dispersal or basically keeping the vegetation in check, so one plant species doesn't overgrow another one and knock that one out, they keep those higher elevation areas that you and I typically don't go to or see in balance with uh, with the plant life. And it also presumed, too, that their feces could be used as a fertilizer as well for plants that are up that high.
0: So, Angie, the rabbit hole I went down this week is because of a lot of news this this past few months. Here we're recording in September of 2021. And the summer of 2021, not only is the COVID pandemic still raging across the planet, but around the world, the news has been climate change and how hot it was in that part of the world where these mountain goats live, mainly the Pacific Northwest.
1: And Louisiana just saw its second monster hurricane in the past two years that are like record breaking for wind speed and strength and all this stuff. It's yeah. Just crazy.
0: Yeah, the climate's definitely
1: the uh, wildfires out changing. west. It's in here in the well, States.
0: In that part of the world too, in the Pacific Northwest. So what what really got me was you know I'd lived up there you know near Seattle for a couple of years I loved it and when it hit in the mid eighties in the summer that was hot that was hot for Washington State beautiful if you're gonna ever travel up there go in the summer because it rains the rest of the year it just <laughs> does it's like it's it's kind of depressing but those some three months some people like
1: it though I have friends out there that they yeah. they they don't mind it they like they like that weather.
0: When I got there I remember I didn't see the sun because I live in, in Olympia I didn't see the sun for about ten months not one day of sunshine Wow not well one coming from day.
1: coming from where we lived in Michigan my friends we don't see the sun that often either yeah. in the summertime so maybe that's why they're used to it but that eight months is that's crazy long
0: it was yeah it was crazy long it was crazy long and I just was like okay I see why people get depressed but so 85 degrees, you know, or 27 Celsius, that's about normal in the summer. When I saw temperatures were 115, you know, or 30, almost near 40, yeah, it's almost near 40 degrees Celsius. I was like, wow, that's really alarming. So they've really been setting a lot of records because doing this podcast, Angie, and these animals, I just go back to the moose. One of the things that really surprised me about moose is they don't sweat and they Mm -hmm. can't survive long in temperatures above 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 27 degrees Celsius. You know, they have to go dump, they have to go dip their legs into rivers and streams and lakes to cool off. So when that part of the world is heating up quickly, I think about those animals that are suffering or dying. The other one's the pica. Uh, I just saw a recent report how climate change scientists are now looking at pika and the effects of the climate on that animal. You know, when we covered them, they're very sensitive to climate change and Rocky mountain goats. Again, when it gets too hot, they go up higher elevation to cool off. So, you know, like you, you said, certain times a year, they go up and down the mountain and that probably has affected what they eat, what plants are available, so what animals dis-
1: are preying on them?
0: Right. It's 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 having an effect Road on Road
1: traffic, all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, so it, it is a huge problem. I mean, I just kind of went down this little rabbit hole with it. it. You know, high scorching temperatures in Western Canada and the United States. So, previous to the summer, Canada's highest temperature ever recorded was 113 degrees Fahrenheit or 45 degrees Celsius. This past June in British Columbia, in the town of Lytton, they recorded a temperature of 121 degrees Fahrenheit, or nearly 50 degrees Celsius.
1: Yowzers!
0: It was cooking. It never gets that hot there, and there was actually a wildfire that came and destroyed that town after they recorded that uh, temperature. So it it was pretty horrific. Now scientists are saying normally this is a, a you know, every thousand year event temperatures get this high in this part of the world. It's very rare, but now we're seeing it more and more common, you know, right before, right when the COVID pandemic was kicking off was that we had the wildfires in Australia, you know, scorching, scorching temperatures in my part of the world. So uh, what is alarming about this is scientists are now saying the climate's changing faster than they predicted that the modeling it was actually off. It's not better. It's actually a lot worse. This is the new normal temperatures around Europe. I remember seeing a temperature map where the temperature was higher in Finland than it was in Southern Spain. Because remember, we, we've talked about it, that the poles are heating up quicker than the equatorial uh, region around the planet. So again, this year we've set records for temperature ever in Europe. and And then just last month, it was flooding all over the world. London, London was flooded because of rains and the changing climate. Oh, we've
1: had huge problems here in the States, Tennessee.
0: Yeah. So it's just, I just say this, it's, it's something again, I, I I hate ringing this bell. I hate bringing the alarm. It's something that we just need to, you know, I I really want to track down a good climate change scientist that maybe we can talk to, or if anybody has any suggestions About how the changing climate is affecting species, it's people are taking notice. It's time. This is the decade of change. I keep saying this in all of our talks in the podcast. This is when we need to push governments to change quicker. Well, and you
1: took the words out of my mouth. That's the thing is we're going to have to really. We always say vote with our dollar, but I think it has to be even greater than that to make these to force these policymakers that have been lagging in most countries, the United States definitely, uh, but in general around the world that have been lagging and need to make really drastic changes that will help cut carbon emissions. Uh and so we as a people need to find and support those people when they are running for offices in power and not just the president or, uh, really, really high levels, but even at your local level, right? Uh, you get from your own community, you've got to get involved. Uh, me and my husband talk about it all the time. It's like, okay, we can't sit on our laurels this next election cycle. It's just, it's just too important. We rather we go door to door or canvas or do phone calls or whatever it is. We really have to be more involved, especially at our local level.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It, it's, it's, it, it, we're all in this together it's just like with the covid pandemic it, this is a worldwide effect you know this is a mm-hmm. world this influences every single human being every sil- single living creature on earth this isn't a it goes across all the borders
1: yeah we're all related so we save rocky mountain goats we save ourselves and these cute fluffy rocky mountain goats were designed to survive the cold that's what they do. I mean, their white coat, their woolly white coats are beautiful, but it's actually a double coat. So they have this fine wool that's pretty dense on the outside. And underneath the top layer of this wool-like hair, they have this really dense, fine undercoat that has this layer of long, hollow hairs that helps protect them. And so when it is summertime, they do have the ability to shed or molt this thicker top coat by rubbing against rocks or trees or really anything they can find. But still, they were designed to withstand winds over 99 miles per hour or 160 kilometers and temperatures as low as minus 51 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 46 degrees Celsius. That's insane. like their happy spot.
0: That's insane. That's <laughs> right? so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I mean and know, that's thing, Do we even climate- see temperatures like that anymore? I don't know. No.
0: no, it's it's the thing is with what's so alarming to us, to scientists, is these animals, these plants, these other species don't have time to adapt. They don't have a thousand or two thousand or three thousand years during a warming cycle you know that's why the end of the last ice age mammoths went extinct cybertooth cats went extinct you know you had a mass die off of megafauna they didn't have time to adapt so and that was a natural warming cycle this is an unnatural human-caused warming cycle that is accelerating And it's cooking the oceans. It's killing the coral. It's not good. So it's. I I hate being gloom and doom in this podcast. I really don't enjoy this. I really don't. But we have to make change. And right now, obviously, it's individually we make changes. But we, like Angie said, we need to be more active. And it's it's very difficult. We're in the middle of this pandemic still. But this has to be at the top of people's lists of, you know, priorities.
1: Well, that's one of my hopes with this pandemic that has been so horrific for so many people that if we can even garner a little bit of good out of it and learn to maybe work from home more, stay home, commute less if possible, uh, share cars when applicable, things like that, then that'll be a good thing. So if you're a person that is starting to go back to work in the office, maybe that's where you can have a talk with the higher ups and say, hey, can we only come in to the office once or twice a week instead of five times a week? Because for a long time, nobody was going in and everything was mostly fine. It was challenging to work from home. We all know that, uh, depending on if the kids are in school or not in school. But we have to think outside the box and we definitely have to push the comfort level. And if you think about it, that's already happened during this pandemic, right? Like all of our comfort levels have been, sh- regardless of where you live, like it's, it's affected your daily life. Or I should put it this way. If you're lucky, it's only affected you on a day-to-day basis and not like influenced your whole life with yeah. the loss of a loved one. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we're already, we're already changing. If we talk about behavior modification, I just sit back and like, wow, this pandemic modified our behavior big time mm-hmm. in really short notice. Mm-hmm. And so we're on that trend and our eyes are opened of like, well, maybe we don't have to do things the way we did. For me, I learned to go to the grocery store once every two weeks. I was horrible about planning groceries and we would just pop into the store two, three, four times a week, grab a few things, not be organized, be wasteful with food. And... And I learned to be a lot more organized and find apps to help me do that and cut my food waste and go to the store less, save gas, all these kinds of things. So, and I truly believe that cutting carbon emissions wouldn't even be that much of a behavior modification. Mm -mm.
0: No, no, no. And, you know, we have to push our governments to, you know, like I'll revisit this with China, but China is the world's largest emitter of carbon dioxide now. You know, with their their booming economy, and you know they're they're promising an eco friendly country by 2060, but that's way too late. You know, their younger generation with their consumerism is really driving this and stuff like that. So we'll revisit that in, in a future episode. I, I don't want to totally bash over this, but I'll leave you with some good news about it. It's in the news. People are taking notice, and they're realizing we have to do something now, not in 10 years. It's in 2021, 2022, 2023. So that is the good news. And and we're going to keep following it. All right. So back to the science. Can we get back to the, (laughs) well, it it does affect these animals. I mean, no, it does. I agree. They, they, I guarantee you goats, mountain goats died in this heat wave. I guarantee it, you know, and, and I will, you know, see if we can, find an expert or somebody to come on. The temperatures were so scorching there in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of animals perished that we don't know about because it was just too hot. I mean, you had human beings perishing because well, then there's so the hot. fires too. Yeah. So, and then yeah. all the brutal fires. It just, it, it it is a big major issue that is a, directly influencing these animals because mountain goats, their evolution is fascinating. This is, one of Angie's favorite orders, the Artiodactyla yes. even toads. Yeah. So we're going to even toad, but over 270 Odd species-
1: toads, the parasodactyls are my absolute favorite, yes. but yes, this is number two.
0: Number two. And there's a lot of species to cover, over 270. You know, Not only do you have the goats and sheep, but you have your pigs, your peccaries, your hippos- Tackins. Yeah. And your other one that we covered that's musk ox. Yep. <laughs> Giraffes, camels, all of them. And breaking it down to mountain goats, they are in Bovidae. So 143 species sheep, goats, mus- musk ox, cattle, buffalo. We, we've talked about that. Bison. The subfamily. Now, this is where it's interesting. Because again, and not a true goat. The subfamily is Caprinae, which is the goat antelopes. So you have goats, you have sheep, and then you have these goat antelopes, which again is your talkin', your musk ox, and your Rocky Mountain goat. So, very, very interesting family. 27 species. Within that, five are endangered, eight are vulnerable. And seven are heading towards, you know, concern. Um, they're, they're least concerned, but they're about to be classified as vulnerable. And so a lot of these species are are suffering out there.
1: Well, that's why I love looking at them so much besides that they're adorable. But they they are pretty closely related takins But they think they have like a parallel ancestry. Like they both evolved similar traits to live up in the mountains and have these beautiful woolly, almost shaggy like coats, but in the same instance, they're not like a sister lineage.
0: Yeah. They had, they had an ancient relative a long time ago that, that split off. And and I think they're, they might be more closely related uh, to talkins Uh, muskox are kind of on their own little tree over there, but um, then domestic goats, right. Or true goats, true goats. Now the Rocky Mountain goat, the genus is Oreamnos. They're the only one left in that genus, and their scientific name is Oreamnos americanus. So the one that lives in America, and again, the reason they call it goat antelope is because they have characteristics of both. So that these clearly They're perfect, look, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angie was designing them. But the, totally, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, but the, it's clearly, you know, they look like a goat, stocky built, but they have the long legs of antelope. So this group, which is called the, the sub-tribe Rupa caprina, are these goat antelopes. So you have the Rocky Mountain goat. And then the other one is, I don't know if you've ever seen these, the chamois, chamois. Yeah. I had not.
1: They're yeah. gorgeous. They are the same. I had to look it up. That's mm-hmm. what I do in my life. I don't know yeah, yeah. a word, and I look it up, especially when it comes to an animal, especially, uh-huh. especially an even-toed ungulate. So these are these are um, from the French mountains, and their color patterns are dark brown with cream, uh, cream lowlights throughout, and they almost remind me of the um, the coat pattern of a sable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It reminded me of like little miniature sables in the French mountains. So the camois, if I'm saying that right, I bet it's chamois. Mm-hmm. French. French French, yeah. French.
0: French.
1: All of our French, French listeners can please send us a letter and tell us how to pronounce it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, and the other one that I had to look up was the Suros and the mm-hmm. Gorals of mm-hmm. Asia. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So lots of time, Chris. We could pretty much just do Bovidae family uh, for a couple years.
0: Oh, easily, easily.
1: Send in your votes for that, folks, because I'm down.
0: Yeah, which ones you want? Which ones you want? Please send in those recommendations. You know, we, we we love reading those emails. Now, talking about your your bovids, Angie. So again, quickly, bovids evolved 23 million years ago generally in this family all males have horns but like we found with the rocky mountain goats some females do too so you know it depends on the species now most of them bovids bovids are endemic to africa so that's where kind of everything goes back and it's just africa is just just lends itself to really open up to bovids i mean you said when you went and the antelope in your handbook, like I don't know how many species of antelope are in Africa, but it's tons, right? I, so I can't, many and so
1: many I hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a whole nother year podcast, <laughs> just right. doing African antelope for the most part. Right. So, yeah, really, really cool species over there.
0: Yeah, yeah, just amazing. And the earliest ones were more of the cattle type, the elands those those were the earliest bovids and then the later gazelle, springbok, sheep and goats, uh, waterbuck, hardebeest, wildebeest group, those came much later in evolutionary history. Now caprine, this goats and sheep, they think originated around Asia, central Asia around 8 million years ago. And a relative of the Rocky Mountain goats split about four to five million years ago, and crossed the bridge over Siberia into Alaska, present day Alaska, and then eventually evolved into the mountain goat that we see today. The Kamoys or chamoys went to Europe about one and a half million years ago. Now, what's interesting about looking, and, and this is thanks to Rachel. I want I put that little note in there. She found some interesting data that they. The Rocky Mountain goats went through a genetic bottleneck. Like, remember cheetahs? Remember cheetahs should almost went extinct. The American cheetah went extinct. Today's cheetahs are highly inbred, again, because their numbers are so low. But they went through something similar in the last ice age where they (laughs) had a genetic bottleneck, meaning populations got really low and this species barely survived. So that happened about 20,000 years ago for the Rocky mountain goat. So not a huge amount of genetic diversity that you would see in, in another robust species. So I love what genetics is teaching us about uh, a lot of these animals today. And that's important because, you know, I just gave a talk yesterday uh, to the American association of zookeepers. And I was telling them, I always go back to that Saiga story, how the Saiga were down to like one to 2000 animals they have no genetic diversity. They had that mass die off in 2014, 200,000 dropped dead because of disease. It, genetics, it's important. You need genetic diversity. So again, very impactful on conservation. So I found that interesting with mountain goats. Absolutely. Now, I haven't done a, a weird, obscure animal in a while. So I was kind of itching to get one. So I found something. Titanoboa. I, Close. <laughs> close. A reptile like goat. What? Yeah. That survived for about five million years, only went extinct about 3,000 years ago. Uh, so you're gonna
1: have to describe it more a reptile-like okay, goat? Like uh, what, it what scales? It, exactly.
0: Confused. In your head, when you see that title, because I saw this scientific article. I, I should like, have
1: my kids draw it. They have they're really creative. I bet they would come up with and they're really into pokemon these days right. so i bet they could they could visualize it but i don't know if i could
0: all right so everybody in the audience is like a reptile like what a reptile like goat what would you think it looks like i will tell you this thing was small it was only about 19 inches at the shoulder it was like a amount it was like a, a, it was like a, a smaller medium-sized dog because it's dwarfism because it lived on islands
1: like an iguana
0: with horns they do have horns, don't they? Don't iguanas have horns? No, <laughs> well, what don't do they have? have? Horns. Not horn, not horn, true horns. You know what I mean? They have like yeah. bumps on them, but yeah, like little spiky things. All right, so this thing looked this is called the Balearic Island Cave Goat. Now, as your imagination runs wild, let me do the wah wah. It looks like a normal goat, so
1: Wah-wah-wah. now.
0: Why is it like a reptile? This is where you could really dork out in some physiology. It lays eggs. No, <laughs> that's blind <of> <laughs> <us>. <laughs> no. It had physiology similar to reptiles, meaning that it could start and stop its growth. So very unique. It grew on these nutrient sparse islands in the Mediterranean and it had the metabolism of a reptile. Where not cold blooded, I don't think it just that it could start or stop its growth because the the food on these islands is so sparse, it they they couldn't, you know, eat all the time. So when food was really low, their growth would slow or stop. And then when food was abundant, they would grow again. And so they reached maturity not till they were like twelve. And it was just. It, I wow. found this article, and they found the the skeletal remains and the fossils and stuff, and they they could tell that their growth would start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, and it was reptile like. So, anyways, that'd be good fun, find, huh?
1: Chris. That's I know. Awesome.
0: <laughs> it was like what? I, I love all the different
1: this. visuals. I still think I'm going to have my kids draw it and see what they <laughs> come up with. Like, oh yeah.
0: All right, uh, Rocky Mountain goats live can live up to 12 years in the wild. So not super long lives. And 13, 14 under human care. What I found interesting, Angie, is you age them by the horns, right? Didn't you say that in a horn episode?
1: Yeah, Chris, uh, after about 22 months or so, you can tell the age of a Rocky mountain goat by counting the rings on their horns. Male and female both have them. And in general, the points are sharp, and like I said, nine to twelve inches. But the actual rings that are the circumference of the base—they move up them, and so you can count and tell their age. Yeah, yeah, cool. Pretty cool yeah, stuff. So
0: cool. Yeah, yeah. Have fun uh, trying to age them while they run away from you. But
1: well, we're, no. Well, we're actually going to talk about that. They yeah. don't always run away from you in the no, wild. No, it's true too. <laughs> we'll talk My about peg. that when we get to their behavior. They sometimes run towards you, and yeah. that's not a good thing.
0: No, 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 no. I've observed them from a distance. All right, Angie, this is what I'm dying to get to. How do they climb these sheer face cliff walls? Like, how do they do it? How do they survive it? So I kind of went down that physiological rabbit hole. How do they grip in their hooves? And you kind of talked about it earlier, right? Like that rubbery, Mm -hmm. you know, talked about that. So... The hoof, so again, these are two cloven hoof, right? Like, like others.
1: And they spread, they can spread apart. As
0: exactly. Anything. Right. So it, it has that hard outer shell, but that softer inner concave foot pad that when they climb and it, those toes spread, it acts like a suction cup almost. And it, it gives them a lot of grip. And they're very strong. I mean, very strong shoulders, very strong hindquarters. But what it reminded me of is when we talked about geckos, and I know geckos, it's different physiology, but how geckos can hang upside down or climb up walls is they have like little suction cups. So they are like reptile goats. These are. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So that foot spreads and like almost sticks to – the rocks, I mean they they've been observed leaping from like ten to twelve feet. Yes, in a single to the
1: other. bound.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they they can pull themselves up. So anybody listening, and little a, babies
1: do this shortly yeah. after birth.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible. So basically, they have like suction cups on their feet that help them stick. Now they can't climb sheer face like. You see Spider Man do or whatever in the movies, but it gives them enough that they can. It just amazes me these animals that they can find a little nook like some of these mountain climbers do, and they can hold on to it. Oh, yeah, and it's they can Balance and, oh, yeah.
1: Yes, I mean that's where I would need a harness and a boulet system. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I take my kids. I take my kids here in New Zealand. We we go indoor rock climbing and I watch them and my heart is pounding, mm-hmm. pounding as they go up these walls. And my, my six-year-old does it no problem. My 10-year-old, one of the belay systems like made a loud noise when he came down and now he's scared to go back up. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's, yes. Yes. I, I haven't done it in two years, like 20 years. Yeah. My friend Aaron and I used to go, uh, because she was, I uh, lived in Denver and was really in into that kind of stuff. But yeah, we're hoping to maybe get a family pass here in the future. Um, once the other boys can get a little bit more involved and then I'll send you a video, but yeah. you can't share it on social media. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: You doing it? But you know, it, it's, It's not
1: gonna look like a mountain goat, that's for sure. (laughs)
0: No, me too, me too. My big butt be hanging out in the air, but it's it's those little ledges. I mean, and they Mm -hmm. they are able to wedge their hooves in there and balance themselves and just scale it like no problem. Or sometimes when you watch them, you know, almost run across across a cliff face and leaping and bounding and yeah.
1: Right, and I just can't help but picture leaping and bounding domestic goats that I used to work with. And my husband, he tells the funniest story. He uh, he's half Haitian, and so he spent his family spent time living in Haiti. And he was about three, four, five years old. It's been a couple of years there before the family relocated in Boston. But he just tells story. These funny stories about all the pets that they had. and But they had a goat. I forget the goat's name, a domestic goat, of course. And it lived outside just free range or whatever. And But it would always come running in the house whenever a kid would leave the door open. And my husband's one of five, so lots of little kids always leaving doors open. <laughs> and every morning, that goat, when a door was left open, it would run down this long hall and then jump up on the dining room table when they were all having breakfast and they would always eat cereal for breakfast. And the goat basically got addicted to like getting into their cereal bowls. <laughs> so <laughs> behavioral modification yes. over time, the kids just learned when they heard the goat like click, 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 click running oh down God, the hallway yeah, yeah. Uh, before, as it was leaping in the air onto the dining room table. They would just all kind of lift their bowls up off the table. And then they'd have to play this game of like as the goat was still trying to get their bowls, yeah. their lucky charm or I think it was Fruit Loops, yeah. as they're getting their Fruit Loop cereal, they'd have to just quick eat fast and like move the bowl, like basically like a dodge, <laughs> a dodgeball <laughs> game with the with this goat standing on their table. But then yeah. the goat would get annoyed and the goat, anybody who's ever worked with domestic goats, the goat would knock down other things on the table, salt, pepper oh, shaker. Gosh. And, Anyways, my husband is about, yeah, four years old, he just had four or five years old, he has these like just fond memories of the silly goat <laughs> doing what goats do best, jumping up on things with pretty accurate precision. Yes. And getting into everything and eating anything they can. And yeah. so, yes, uh, so many well, fun yeah, memories with goats.
0: Yeah. And you think about like horses, like I always think of horses on like concrete, those, those single toed ungulates. You know how slippery it can be for them sometimes, and sure. Not sure. Sure-footed, where these cloven-hoofed goats, you know, have have pretty good footing. You know, yeah,
1: no problem footing. for them, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: Now, I mean, it doesn't mean that mountain goats don't fall and die. They do. Injuries are are one of the main causes of of death for them. But you know, reading some of the things that what typically kills them too is their teeth wear down after, after so long and, and just old age gets them, you know, they can't eat as much. And then you have a hard winter come in or they're not as sure footed and they slip, and, you know, and fall. So that, that's what leads to, to a lot of their mortality.
1: And they do have some predators though, right? Like there's cougars yeah. mm-hmm. are the main mm-hmm. ones right. uh, The cause cougars are agile enough to maybe not go up to the extreme elevation, right. but to still move up and down the mountain or around them to go after them. And sometimes wolf and bears, but not as not as Often. much as a as a puma or a cougar.
0: Yeah, they can catch them. I mean, golden eagles will take younger ones um, and get them. So they do, they do have predators. And really, you know, humans humans do hunt them uh, for their meat and for trophies and things like that. So uh, we'll talk about that in conservation. It, you did talk about diet a little bit. I mean, it, it's grass and lichen and anything. Yeah, moss, whatever it grows up <laughs> Anything there. Anything
1: you woody or herbaceous yeah, that yeah. grows up that high.
0: Yeah, they'll eat it. That's a goat. goat goats are known to, to mm-hmm. eat a wide variety of, of plants.
1: And they will travel far distances in the springtime to find uh, mineral, mineral-rich salt-lick areas. So that's an important part of their diet as well, especially in the springtime.
0: Now, besides... Rock climbing, which they love to do. What are some of the other fun (laughs) behaviors of the Rocky Mountain Goat?
1: Well, the Mountain Goat's going to be doing all these climbing and jumping behaviors and foraging a lot, of course, uh, as a ruminant throughout the day. And so they're a diurnal animal, but you can see them even still around dusk time. But they also make beds. So this reminded me of orangutans. What? Uh, Yes. Okay. They're going to dig down not too deep. Uh, I was reading 25 to 50 uh, millimeters deep into the ground to make a bedding depression where they can rest whenever they need to chew their cud because they are ruminant. So they will regurgitate some of the grass material um, and then chew it down again and then re-swallow it. And so a lot of times they like to lay sternly when they do that. So laying down basically with their head up and these little bedding depressions, uh, are also where they like to do dust baths. So they, just like any of our anybody who has a mm. white horse or a white dog, yeah, I knows know, always,
0: always. They're always, these
1: beautiful white cream uh, colors, and they uh, always have to roll. Like stop, don't do that. So yeah, they make they make little beds, and once again, that reminds me of orangutans who make a new leaf bed every night in uh, the jungles. Well, Chris, the other thing I was reading about Rocky Mountain goats uh, is that they can be a little bit aggressive. So the females, the nannies, will sometimes be very protective of their young, of their space, and of food sources. And these females might actually fight within one another to become dominant of the resources uh, in the area that they're living. And like I always say about animals with horns, if they have them... They're not afraid to use them.
0: Exactly. There's a reason they have them, right? Mm -hmm. And
1: so they will butt heads with each other. They It rarely leads to injury or death, but they know how to use them and they will use them. And so the main rule of thumb is if you are seeing them out in the wild or you're hiking around, just as Chris said, stay a safe distance back. I mean, you don't want to go. You don't want to go into like the ledge and the cliff areas that that they're in anyways, because humans aren't that agile to jump around those different rocks and steep crevices, but they have been known to charge a people. In fact, a hiker was actually killed by a mountain goat um, in Olympic National Park in 2010. Now that's very, very rare, but just be mindful because I know I've talked a lot in this episode about domestic goats, which... Don't aren't gonna harm people for the most part you can do yoga with them and they're of course domestic goats are used a lot for um, meat and cheese and milk products but in the same instance Rocky mountain goats are not domestic goats by any stretch of the imagination no, no, no. and as Chris told us they're not even that closely related
0: nope nope
1: <laughs> and then Chris I found a really awesome study about goat communication, just to get us thinking about the intelligence and how goats communicate. Because Rocky Mountain goats are similar to their distant cousin, the domestic goat, and that they do that bleeding or that ma sound that it opened with. But there was an awesome study that found domestic goats, more specifically young pygmy goats, can adjust their vocal accents based on their surroundings. Pretty crazy stuff. So John used to make fun of me when we traveled to Africa. I pick up like a little bit of an African accent and I start using their words. Like instead of saying gas, I'll say petrol. And a lot of that, so I feel like I'm either better understood when I talk to locals uh, and maybe to feel a little cool. But uh, anyway, so he always he was like, "Why do you do that?" And I tried to explain to him. And he thought it was a little weird. But then, of course, our dear friend Allison did the same thing, yeah. and then John had to totally eat crow. He's yeah, like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. okay." If Allison does it, because she, of course, is like you know, she is like Africa herself. She's spent right. so much time there, translocating rhinos and things like right. that. So when once he heard uh, when we were, so when we were visiting Allison, and once he heard her do that, he was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, I mean with Pip and I, like now she's picked up a lot of lingo from California and I I'm UK words. Not only sure. in New Zealand, you know, last uh you know, ten plus months, but I like I go, yeah, I'm gonna go nip out and get some bits. Right. I'm like it's just that's now I know to me that's like I'm gonna go to the store and get some things. Mm-hmm. But now to her, now to me, I just say, Yeah, I'm gonna go nip out, you know, or I'm gonna get the jab. I got jabbed. Not not I didn't get vaccinated or got a shot. Like I just and I don't even think about it. It's just part of my yeah. What
1: these researchers found and published in the Journal of Animal Behavior, which is a very elite journal if you're studying animal behavior, was that when kids or these young pygmy goats joined a different social group,
0: mm-hmm.
1: their calls or vocalizations started to sound similar to this group that they had joined. Yeah,
0: okay. Makes sense. And then
1: they also found that like genetically related kids – they were producing similar calls. If they were then separated and went into different social groups, their calls sounded more like the social groups that they were hanging out in. And so this evidence suggests that goats can join humans, whales, and bats as animals that, of course, are known to, to adjust their vocalizations or their vocal sounds or repertoire in response to the different social environments that they found themselves find themselves in. So just super, super fascinating stuff, right? And just incredible. And and it and it also goes to show how social goats are. And right. Rocky Mountain goats are really no different. Um, they're social throughout the year. They will establish dominance hierarchies uh, when they're young. And they usually do this through play behavior, which you and I love. We've watching horses in foals, right? Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm, And watching them play was a big part of my master's work. Oh God! The somali wild
0: ass—that was like the the biggest treat ever. I know endangered animals, right? Yeah, watching those babies play—which
1: is like hands down one of my favorite things to do. So. So these kids butt heads and play around a lot, but it helps them determine who's more dominant and who's who's not. Uh, but they do; they'll they'll form these large groups, especially during the winter. Uh, and then in the spring, they'll congregate together and even like migrate to areas where the salt licks are in the spring. But now, when they're foraging in the summer, they're going to be in small groups and have been observed solitary as well. But typically, a very very social animal that knows how to. Adjust to different social cues, right, in environmental situations. Pretty, pretty cool stuff.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, yeah, it's a lot of fun behavior with goats. I, you know, definitely we'll, we'll cover another species uh, in the future. Now, repro would be interesting up there, you know, because I know yeah. those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. they,
1: well. Yeah, Chris, the Rocky Mountain goat is what we call a short day breeder. And so, what that means is they're going to start coming into their breeding season when the days get shorter or it gets colder, right? They're up in the Northern Hemisphere. So, right around late November to early January, that's the time where we're going to see a lot of breeding happening and males competing for females. And the Rocky Mountain goat male, when he is trying to score a female, instead of head butting, which that's what we would think that the two males would just butt heads, uh, they actually stand side to side and stab each other's flanks. And for those of you that aren't familiar with flanks, it's kind of like a groin area, if you will, uh, for lack of better terms. And so they have a lot of wool and a lot of skin, so they don't usually hurt each other but it can cause wounds and stuff like that as they stab each other. So pretty interesting. But once a male establishes his dominance over the other male, and this is going to be his area, he, the male will start to court the female. And his, his approach is, is, is cute. He, he kind of lays his head down low and he'll show the handsome side of his face and his beard, right? Once again, all the hipsters, that's what they like to do. They show us their shiny Uh, beard uh, with their uh, beard uh. products. Uh, And they show that off a little bit. And the female likes what she sees with the side of his face and his beard and stuff like that. um, He'll begin licking her coat and licking her flanks. And then we know what happens from there. But when reading about Rocky Mountain goats, Chris, I learned a new term. It's called a nursery band. Once the female starts to accept the males in her area and is breeding them they form this this area where they all hang out together and the males join their band and they become like a nursery band. So it's pretty cool. And then males will basically protect any other male from uh, breeding with any females in his band, even if they're um, not nestrous. He's just to like, you know, get out of here. So pretty cool stuff. And and just like any other hoofstock, we typically like the offspring to be born in the springtime when the grasses are growing. So the Rocky mountain gestation period is not that long if they're breeding in November to January. So it's only 150 to 180 days. And therefore they're going to give birth in around may to June when the grass is green and all of that. And a female nanny will give birth to one to three kids. And Chris, although I can't exactly relate to this, Mm -hmm. the female will sometimes give birth on very steep cliffs in her home range to make sure that predators won't harm her during the act and when the new when the newborn kids are aren't very mobile.
0: Yeah, wow, one to three. Wow. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> on a cliff.
1: I was not on a cliff when I recently gave birth, <laughs> but metaphorically speaking, since yeah. I had no uh, medical aid on board, since yeah. uh, all natural and not by choice, yeah. um, I felt like I was on a steep cliff.
0: Maddox came quick, right? Yeah.
1: Very quick, so that's the yeah. thing. It was, it was, it was not much fun, but it was pretty quick. It's so quick that the nurse played Rocket Man after after he was born. <laughs> things settled down. We were in triage. We were, we were, in a, we were not even in a room. Wow. I might as well have been on out outside on a cliff. <laughs> He's
0: like, I'm coming, mom. <laughs> oh I'm coming. yeah. And and, and Zaki took like forever, right? Wasn't it?
1: Both, yes. Uh, yeah. Both uh, Xander was 36 yeah. hour C section, yeah. um, and. Zachary was about thirty hours vaginal, but medicated, yeah. and Maddox was all <laughs> <Five> natural. <seconds>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: in the hospital. And he's out. Yeah, he
1: sorry, goes. too much information for yeah. probably a lot of people, but I'm really, really proud of it myself, yeah. especially being. Um, advanced maternal age or whatever these doctors like to call Uh, me.
0: No, you're awesome. You're awesome. Yes. So
1: anyways, but just like me, the female, the female goat, the nanny, the mom is a good parent. Uh, She, she stays with her kids um, for at least a year, probably has to teach them how to navigate all those slippery rocks and slopes and where to get salt licks and how to climb and how to avoid predators and to do all these things. and not only will she teach them a lot of things, she'll also protect them. There was a 2006 study where a female Rocky Mountain goat uh, successfully protected her young kid from an adult wolf. So maybe we should use, instead of mama bear, maybe we should say mama Rocky mama Mountain goat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So the male does aid in protection. So he will help defend the young um, when he's part of this nursery band. But For the most part, mama, nanny, goat does it all.
0: Yeah, right, right, right.
1: And then both male and female Rocky Mountain Goat will become sexually mature and ready to create their own little kids when they're about 30 months old.
0: Definitely not like the Balearic Island Cave Goat. (laughs) No. (laughs) 12 years. That's insane. That reptile goat. (laughs) I love it. Well, I know, I know. So that's what this episode will be known for. But I just, a uh, fascinating animal. It, there's so many amazing species around the planet. You know, that's why we love doing this and we're going to keep doing it. Conservation wise, least concern. There's up to 62,000 mature individuals across North America. But the big but is they are, they are, populations are declining slowly, especially in certain areas.
1: And they are hunted too, right? They
0: are, you know, they're... I think there's limits on it, of course. It depends where, like in the Cascade Mountains, you can't hunt them. And generally, I mean, because they are at these high elevations, they're they're fine. But that's why I talked about climate change, because that is something that that could easily disturb them if temperatures kept rising, reproductive rates could fall, and we quickly could see the Rocky Mountain goat classified as endangered species. So just got to keep our eyes to that part of the world as things uh, warm up. Now in this week, Angie, because I did kind of go off on climate change and again, sorry, you know, not, not to be a downer or anything. It's just, again, it, it's with the good, there's the bad and we, and we really have to uh, fight for our planet and our animals. This week, I want to highlight the center for biological diversity. Again, if you haven't heard about them, please go to their website It's biologicaldiversity.org. Amazing. We are chasing them down for another interview here soon. They work on so many different things, endangered species projects. We had one of their lawyers on, Brent Hartle, you know, episode 121, talking about what they were doing to, to help endangered species. So it's just, a, it, it's a, it's a great organization. They have the Climate Law Institute. So they are fighting to take legal action and educate people on what's going on around the planet with climate change, its impact on these species. So check them out, please. The Center for Biological Diversity, one of my favorite organizations that we've covered, and you'll be hearing more about them in the future.
1: Yeah, Chris, we got to get back on here. I was not even thinking about the Woof debacle uh, and other things. They would be a really, really good uh, group to have on here to to give us updates on all the things they're fighting so hard for.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you so much for listening this week. You know, if you can keep sharing these episodes, we're growing, keep growing our audience, keep getting these messages out. Thank you so much for supporting us. And stay tuned next week for another species.
1: Ma! Ma! Okay. I could go all night. <laughs> Thank you, everyone.
0: <laughs> You're a great mama goat. You definitely are. Uh, cheers. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.